0: Welcome back to Top Bins with Twins. This is Luke here, and Paul will be following up here in a second. We are going to be talking about Game Week 21 in the Premier League. During Game Week 21, Paul and I had the privilege of taking part in Premier League Fan Fest in Orlando with one of our good friends as well, and it was an all-around good time. We'll kind of dive into our thoughts and maybe some ways in which they could improve as well. Um, a little bit later on in the podcast, but there were some really important matches that we want to highlight throughout the course of this podcast, with one being that of the most important match of the week, Arsenal and Manchester United, with Arsenal coming out with a 3-2 to win, with the last l- late on winner from Eddie Nketiah, who, as we'll talk about later, has been one of Paul's top performers this week. Um, Other notable performances, Man City coming out with a 3-0 win over Wolves with Erling Holland getting a hat trick, which is not quite surprising at all. Um, And then another notable result that we otherwise might not have mentioned was West Ham United 2, Everton 0, resulting in the sacking of Frank Lampard, the Chelsea legend. So I think that'll close it down for the opening introduction here and we're going to dive into some of our thoughts from a premier league fan fest in orlando all right so fan fest um i think overall it was a great experience for me luke and our friend santiago we all enjoyed our time there was a lot of stuff to do really um i think the big thing was there was a lot of people there like They had a massive crowd, especially Saturday morning. We actually had to wait in line for about an hour and a half, which honestly was not what we wanted. But, I mean, I think it's something that – I think it's a good sign for the growth of U.S. soccer. I mean, we have a fan fest where they let in – we were told the number 3,000 people. And the fact that there were 3,000 people already in there at probably – What time do you think it was, Luke? Yeah, it was probably six thirty in the morning, and we were waiting in line because it was already full for the Liverpool Chelsea game. I mean, that's it was pretty cool. Like it was, it was a good experience. I mean, the Liverpool Chelsea game was. Once we got inside, it was fun to watch. We, um, I mean, that game honestly itself was not that fun to watch, but the, the atmosphere was fun. It was, it was a good one. Um, kind of set the stage for for Sunday. Which Sunday was a awesome experience watching the Liber- the um, Arsenal United game. I want to shout out our friend that we met while we we're at the match, who was a massive Juan Bissaka fan. He he was a big Manchester United fan, um, and he honestly was rather spot on. Juan Bissaka definitely performed his role um, in trying to limit Martinelli as much as someone possibly can. And I honestly feel that he did a pretty good job in it. Uh, Martinelli did look better near the end whenever he was subbing off. The last five minute, fin- five minutes or so that he was on the pitch. Um, and we had that little run by Troussard that was, you know, rather entertaining to watch. But all in all, I think that, you know, Arsenal did put in a really good performance, but Manchester United did as well. Um, if you're looking at the XG between the two teams, it was rather stark. Um I think Arsenal was around three, around three or so for their xG, um, and Manchester United was around 0.3 or so. Don't let's see, let's get that right before I say that. Um, so y- Arsenal's xG was 3.25, and United's was 0.36, with a whopping 25 shots from Arsenal and six from Manchester United, um, and there was also a stat running around on. The on Twitter talking about the touches in the box from Arsenal compared to Manchester United, which displayed the you know kind of dominance that Arsenal had within the match. Um, but the impressive thing overall here, I think, is that Arsenal was able to get away with three points. United put in a good performance, as I said earlier, um, and it was it kind of showed their class, Arsenal's class and their ability to really just dig out three points in a really tough match against a pretty solid team that is, you know, a little bit behind their curve, but they are definitely growing in the right direction. Um, And it'll be fun to see these two teams play in the future. So kind of like we discussed last week, um, what about Odegaard's pass? (laughs) That little ball he played to Shaka, where he kind of just lifted it with his left foot and curled it around was awesome and honest like he's the engine that make makes arsenal go without him i mean yeah i mean they have good pieces everywhere but like he kind of connects it all he lets them play fluidly like uh my my i wish i would have bought stock whenever i initially believed in odegaard because i'd be sitting on a lump sum of cash right now But I think um, an interesting thing, though, is we're going to see in the coming weeks, this is the first, I'd say, the first really big test for Arsenal. And going forward, I mean, they have that double game week where they're going to play City at the tail end of that week, right? Yeah, at the tail end of the week. And that that game is going to be a clash of two gigantic powers. And it is... It's something that I was really excited to see how Arsenal would respond to being punched in the face, and against United they got punched in the face, and we'll we'll see um, against City I could see them getting down early. Just to kind of follow up on Paul's point here, in game week twenty three, Arsenal play Brentford first on February eleventh, and then they follow up with Man City on February 15th. And both of those are at the Emirates, so it gives them a slight advantage. But keep in mind that this February 15th fixture is a rescheduled fixture that was due to the Queen's passing earlier on in the season. Also, shout out the one Arsenal fan <laughs> that was at fan Fest that knew every single Arsenal chant. This man, for sure, was a born-and-raised Arsenal fan because he was singing the whole time, <laughs> and he would start a chant, sing it all the way by himself. And then stop and look around and ask everybody why they weren't joining him. <laughs> it was it was really funny. It was enjoyable. I think something else that we also want to highlight from Premier League Fan Fest was the production value that they put into this. Overall, the event in total, um, I feel like fans were continually engaged with you know different events and promos and everything that was going on at Fan Fest, um, and I also feel like. The two Robbies, Rebecca Lowe and Tim Howard, all did a good job of connecting with the fans in the way that they could um, and really making sure everyone had the best experience possible. So honestly, shout-out to NBC Sports for doing a good job putting this all together um, and making sure that everyone could have a really enjoyable time while they were there. Um, I don't think we have any other thoughts really to wrap on NBC Sports and Premier League Fan Fest. So we'll probably move forward into an overall... Since we've touched on Manchester United and Arsenal, we'll probably just move into a brief overview of the entire week and then touch on the FPL importance of this week and kind of some thoughts going forward. All right, and now we are back, kind of looking at the match between Leeds United and Brentford. This match is really a testament to the way in which Leeds are kind of turning around their season a little bit, I think that they've put in some really good performances as of late. Um, You see them playing really well against Aston Villa and just not getting anything out of the match. Um, And then in the FA Cup, getting a really nice, solid win um, over a lower-tier competition. And then against Brentford here, who have actually been one of the better teams in the league, um, definitely outperforming what expectations were. Currently sitting eighth in the table with 30 points. Leeds really kind of showed up, put in a really solid performance. Um, and unfortunately, we're not able to get three points, but got one point of a really solid Brentford team. Now, currently sitting in 15th in the table with 18 points. Um, and that's with a game in hand over the rest of the surrounding field. So you have to think they're in a pretty solid position. Um, a couple. Matches of three points would go a long way for them, but I think some performances that need to be highlighted from this match, um, for one, Luke Ayling was really well playing at right back. Um, He got the top rating in the match with an 8.1 from a Leeds perspective. um, Overall, the top performer was David Raya with an 8.7. But we also need to highlight Tyler Adams. It just seems like he is in the exact right spot at the exact right time almost every time he needs to be there he consistently has showed up for leads um his vertical passing ability has definitely improved throughout the season as it has gone on um but defensively he is a rock um it's something paul and i have talked about that we somewhat question Rock's ability he sometimes plays some balls that you know you would expect to be delivered to a teammate but it just doesn't end up getting there so it's we kind of wonder if there's a better matchup for tyler adams in the midfield for Leeds. but that's that's a topic for another day um another player i want to highlight from leeds united is the new signing from Salzburg, warber um, who really looked pretty great for them um, it looks like he might provide a pretty strong presence in the back he made a couple challenges that were last ditch if he would have got them wrong, it could have gone pretty pretty bad for Leeds. But he really did a good job of getting in there, um, kind of making his presence felt and influence the way that Leeds play as a whole. Um, So we'll definitely keep an eye on that going forward. Um, And over to Paul with his thoughts on this match. I think every time we watch Leeds, we have to think about the results they get, just because, I mean, the way they play... I kind of always think that something crazy is going to happen, that something interesting. Like, they're probably a top five most fun team to watch in the Premier League just because of the style they play and the pressing style and the nature. I actually saw, like, graphic, I think it was leaked from their locker room where they were talking about their eight keys to a game, and in the end it was, like, I think it was number seven. And it was saying hunt in a pack. And I think it really describes leads well that if you look at them like wolves, like they just want to attack, 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 but that also leaves them vulnerable. Like some of the, like a lot of games this year, they've played very well, but they haven't got results just because, I mean, they give up a lot of stuff because they leave themselves exposed. And I mean, I just, uh, I hate to see it with um our baby Eagles, Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams there and then. I guess Jesse Marsh is a senior eagle. Not that he's senior. I mean, a more mature eagle, I would say. But um, we want to see them be successful in this podcast. But there's there's deficiencies there when you watch Leeds play. And I think, like Luke said, Verber is a really good option for them. He when he made his appearance against Cardiff, he played as a center med. And if you can have somebody play as a left back or a center back that has that ability to play balls out of there that can also step into the midfield, that gives you a really good advantage to break teams down, and I think he's going to be critical for them going forward. To follow up on Paul's point about hunting as a pack, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Shout out the Game of Thrones reference there, but it does inherently kind of tie back into his point that – The way that they press, they have under Marsh developed a system where they're kind of a little more restrained, but also it seems a bit more, um, there's a bit more togetherness in the way in which they approach pressing teams. Um, So it'll definitely, I really hope that Jesse Marsh gets a chance to have an extended run with Leeds United because I think he's he's a good person to lead the team. Um, And I think he really does kind of fit some of the identity of the club as well. Um, to bounce off Luke's point there, I think um, if you look at Leeds right now, if they can weather this little run that Marsh is having, they have so much young attacking talent that if they can integrate them together, I think this time next year we could be talking about Leeds in a completely different air if they put it together. I mean, obviously defensively they have so many deficiencies and so many things they need to work on. But I mean, their midfield has possibilities. Their attackers have... I mean, like I said, if they figure it out, I think the key thing for them is integrating Bamford back as a striker because he just gives them so much functionality, holding the ball, playing the ball, scoring goals. That I mean, Rodrigo. like Rodrigo, yes, from an FPL perspective, has gotten some people a lot of points. He scores crazy goals. But if you watch him, sometimes it's like, how does this man even have a contract? And obviously I say that as somebody that if I go outside, I'm not going to be able to do anything with the ball. But – at times it's like he just has, he lacks in areas. This is what we have discussed previously that sometimes it seems that there's a high variance for Rodrigo. Um, You get these moments of pure brilliance where he hits a ball and you know, it it looks beautiful coming off his foot for a immaculate goal that is, it's really just quite impressive to see. But at the same time, it seems like he just kind of loses concentration in moments and, you know, mishits a pass that could lead to a break. And for Leeds, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that moment to break. And as soon as you miss that pass a little bit and, you know, take a player out of his stride, that really is going to negatively impact the team as a, as, yeah, as a whole. Um, but next, I think we're going to pivot towards Manchester City against Wolves. Um, in this match, we saw a, not surprising, but for some people, shout out Kyle, surprising hat trick from Erling Holland. Um, it was a vintage goal initially for Man City. Um, and then we also saw the assist from Kevin De Bruyne from that beautiful right foot to Erling Holland um, with a header into the box. Um, and it was really just overall a... Vintage and dominant Manchester City performance. It felt like there was nothing that Wolves could have done really to prevent this from happening. Um, in all reality, also felt like that City came out ready to play. Guns firing. Um, excuse the American pun there. But um, it really did feel like there was nothing that Wolves could have done to stop the side on the day. Um, and some notable performances. Of course, Erling Holland with the hat trick. Um, and it, it's also quite perplexing, I think, um, when you really think about Phil Foden on this side. Um, he's struggling to get game time. It seems like there's something going on maybe behind the scenes. There was a massive amount of money spent on Jack Grealish, so maybe that has something to do with this internal kind of debacle that's going on. Um, and also we do have to highlight Maras. It seems like he's really come into form as of late, Performing well for City, kind of being that performer that, you know, he could be. And they're really able to focus on the highs with him and not so much the lows. (laughs) Erling Haaland's back. He's scoring goals again. It's been a long drought, right? What was it, like 200 minutes or something like that that he didn't score a goal? What a drought. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean. um, Darwin Nunez who? (laughs) Don't speak of them in the same era, Luke. Please do not. Also, shout out Kyle. Haven't seen that man in too long. Come to St. Pete, or I'll come visit you. Whichever, Luke's into. Um, but yeah, I think um, Wolves against City just stood no chance. If you look at the history of their games, they like they just they just can't can't defend against City. City just breaks them down too easy. Too easy. So what is it? Um, Chelsea fans love to sing "Super Frank Lampard" something something along the lines of that. Um, Frank Lampard has struggled at Everton and I think I saw a stat he's coached 38 matches and they have 35 points out of it. That's not ideal Frank. It's not. The main thing here is I mean I I don't think it's a Frank Lampard issue. I think it's more of an Everton itself issue. They obviously have invested a ton of money. I think it's like top seven in the league of everybody and they've just invested in the wrong people like they they've put the money behind it they just haven't done the right recruiting and obviously shown i mean last year they stay up as a miracle and then this year they look just woeful i mean they're time wasting from the first minute the way they play is just uninspired just boring football to watch and that that may have something to do with Frank Lampard. I don't think he's an elite manager, but I also don't think he is completely clueless. He obviously knows the game. It's just, it's been a struggle there for him. Luke, um, do you have anything you want to add? It, it is also interesting, too, because it seems like everything coming out of the Everton camp was very positive, and um, everyone really enjoyed Frank as a person. But ultimately, the thing, whenever you're talking about a Premier League side, is that it's going to be results-driven if you're not getting those three points or even just drawing consistently, you're going to face a lot of outside pressure and, quite frankly, internal pressure. It sounds like there was some internal friction between um, Frank Lampard and um, some players within the camp. So I think that everyone there is... Of a highly competitive mindset, if you're not getting the results, there's going to be a pushback eventually. So, unfortunately, Frank did meet his end with Everton. Um, it'll be interesting to track the rest of his career um, and see where he possibly ends up. But um, perhaps the most important note here is that Everton is 19th in the table currently, with 15 points. Halfway through the season, they are in a dire position. And they also show a institutional unwillingness to spend money in the club to buy the players that they need to to make the jump that is necessary for them to really kind of fight to avoid relegation. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll we'll see what comes about near the end of the season. But it seems like they're going to be in a relegation fight for entirety of the season and conversely we see West Ham here getting a really crucial three points for them um being that it is against Everton is a bit questionable that they got three points from them so watching their forward performances will be important but I really do worry that Everton's going to be in a really tough position for the remaining calendar year for the Premier League So the latest rumor that um, I saw on Twitter, so this is not sources that I'm quoting myself because I don't have sources myself, but I saw a rumor that Bielsa is on his way to Everton, and honestly, I kind of like it. I think it's kind of a desperate ploy, but I also think it's a high-risk, high-reward kind of play. Like, if you look at Bielsa, he's able to transform squads, and yes, it may take... His style does take time, so it's a long shot. But he's obviously one of the more respected managers in world, world football, and he has. If he can implement his style in a fast way, they stand a chance. And if you look at their team, I think they actually could pull off the Bielsa style of ball relatively well. I think it would inspire the club. Like the way he plays is very high tempo, pressing, going for it kind of style, and. Honestly, if I'm an Everton fan, if I'm gonna go down, I want to go down guns blazing. Another American pun, but I I don't want to sit back. I don't want, I don't want a time waste from the first minute. What what is what is that? What what is this? Like I think Bielsa could possibly be a good hire, but the eventual outcomes are very drastic. Um, there's a possibility he comes in as manager, and the system just doesn't fit the players, which I do worry about. And this fight for relegation goes from conceding two goals a game to conceding five with the man-marking system that he liked to implement. And so I really worried about their chances. You know, the the higher amount of ga- goals you're going to concede per game is going to drastically influence the ability to avoid relegation. Um, so that's something to keep in mind for the Everton board that seem highly competent at this point. You know, no no pun intended there. Um, but in other news for Everton, it seems like Anthony Gordon might be relinked to Chelsea, um, which is a rather interesting move for Chelsea, who were just, you know, seemingly printing money at this point because they're spending money on anything that can walk with two legs and kick a soccer ball at the same time. So... You know, and ultimately these may turn out to be good signings, but it is rather impressive that they have managed to work their way around financial fair play with these long-term contracts that they're signing. So we'll keep an eye on that, and I'm sure FIFA is as well. But um, over to Paul. So just a quick little analysis. If we look at the table here, Everton actually is at 15 points. And if you look at 13th place of Nottingham Forest, they're at 21 so technically, I mean, it, it is still tight where, I mean, if you make the right coaching hire, you may not be going down. Like you could, you could end up from going down in the bottom three to 13th place very quickly. So, I mean, there also is hope if you're an Everton fan out there. I think that's going to be our brief overview of Everton. I never thought that we would talk about Everton for this long on the podcast, but here we are. Um, I think we'll conclude the podcast with a overview of some FPL assets over the upcoming week um, and future weeks that we think could be a beneficial highlight for everyone. So um, I think this moment is Paul realizing that he has over a hundred points and the biggest week for him, he, he really needed this week. So he, Um, in our mini league, he is still, you know, still struggling, but he definitely made important strides this week. So, um, he's currently jumping for joy and really kind of soaking in the glory of this week. So hopefully he can carry that over for next week, which is unfortunately about 10 days away. We have a upcoming weekend full of FA cup matches that will not feature the premier league, so enjoy those matches, but um, we'll continue working on those FPL teams, and we're about to dive into some you know, tips and players that we could highlight that could benefit your FPL team. So Luke and I just got back from trivia, so I have not been paying attention to my phone, and I just looked down while we were recording this podcast and realized that I am sitting on a grand total of 105 points this last week in FPL, which is easily my best week. I somehow made all the right transfers when all year I've been making the wrong transfers. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I did not realize that Kukurea subbed in for um, Daugherty and that I was sitting on 105 because I was sitting at 99 as of yesterday. And so I just looked at it and I'm sitting at 105, which is awesome. So this week I brought in... Matoma, Ward-Prowse, Nketiah, and Willie Nato, which everybody performed besides Willie, but honestly, I'm feeling confident about that transfer in. I think he, over the next couple weeks, at least is going to get me a return. He's been in dangerous positions. Leads honestly, were not that threatening against Brentford, but I, I think he'll get, he'll get some returns for me. And I also had Keppa, who got me nine points against Liverpool, which, honestly, this year, I guess, is not that surprising because it's Liverpool. And also, Saka, what a goal. Like, that little slide to his left and then where he shot it from in the ball going in, I really did not know that angle was there. And then we, when we were watching that FanFest, it just kind of slid in the corner. <laughs> like, I didn't quite believe it at first, which is awesome for my FPL team. And then in Ketia's last goal... Helped a lot. I had Holland and my team, which we all know how he does. Trippier, Andy Robertson getting that clean sheet bonus for once. Love to see it. Um, Also, notes going forward. I think this week I'm probably going to bank my transfer. And then I'm not 100% sure, but I also love bringing in Bruno Fernandez, which I hate to say that. But he's been very hot. I actually may bite the bullet this week and bring him in. We'll see. I've, I'm I'm undecided on a lot of things right now about FPL. He's a possibility. I've also thought about none of my forwards are going to change. Maybe to, and bringing Andy Robertson out and replacing him probably is number one on my priority list. But like I said, I may bank a transfer. I'm undecided at the moment. Luke, let's tell, tell us about your fantasy week. Overall, um, my fantasy week for game week 21 was a little bit above average. Um, I ended up with 71 points. My main performers were Trippier, and I've doubled up in Newcastle defense, so I've got Botman as well. Um, who also had a fair amount; of, he had a decent amount of chances at scoring some goals. So it would have been lo- lovely to see him, you know, take a corner and head it in um, to the bottom corner. But unfortunately, that did not happen. So um, I had. Sully Marsh and Gibbs White from Nottingham Forest, missing chances that I really wish would have gone in. Um, Sully Marsh decided to hit both feet on one shot, which you know, sent me into a nice little tailspin for a little while there. That would have been really great to have an extra five points from the week and probably ultimately some bonus points that impacted Paul as well. He could have gotten another assist from Matoma. Um but I also, you know, had Holland as my captain for the week, and then Kane up top. Um, I also had Ferguson on the bench with his really quite impressive header against Leicester um, to get them a point from the match. That they it did feel like they deserved the point, maybe even more from that. But um, still impressive to see them dig out a point at Leicester. Um, And then, you know, so going forward, I think that an interesting asset that I'm looking at that I'm sure a lot of other managers are for game week 21, sorry, game week for the upcoming game week 22 is Rodrigo from Leeds. Um, So as long as United and Leeds do not draw in their upcoming FA matches, then they will um, proceed forward with a double game week, which we'll see them playing each other. Um, on a midweek fixture at the end of game week 22, and then playing each other again for game week 23. Um, and this one will be at Ellen Road on Sunday, the following Sunday. So there's a lot of interest there from Rodrigo. Um, I think that the fixtures for Leeds are interesting as well going forward. Uh, Nottingham Force first in the beginning of the week. Um, on, a, on Sunday and they play United midweek on Wednesday and then they follow up with United again on that following Sunday so I think following that they've got also um, they're playing against Everton which is a nice matchup for them and then Southampton and concluding that with Chelsea which you know is kind of in disarray right now but I also do think that um, there were some really exciting things to see from Mudrick it seems like Chelsea might have overpaid for him But overall, he's a really, really good player that, you know, is rather interesting to watch and quite enjoyable. I'm going to push back on that, Luke. I do not think Chelsea overpaid for Mudrick. If you, like, in those, I think he could turn out to be a great purchase for them. But no, 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 no. He wants to take the mic back. We only have one mic right now. And I'm not going to give it back because I have a point to make. I think if you look at him, the way he runs with the ball, what Chelsea wants out of a player on one of their wings, they need that. And I, on if you really think about it, I think if you put – we're going to talk about a hypothetical Chelsea team here just because I've done it a lot because our, one of our baby Eagles is there. If you put Mudrick on the right, Pulisic on the left, Felix up top and Havertz under him, that attack is extremely dangerous. And the thing about that too is Mudrick also has the ability to interplay with people And just like Pulisic does on the left, if Pulisic's on the left, he plays very well with, well, be it certain players. But, I mean, they all have that kind of link-up play where, I mean, I think next year we could see a Chelsea team, if they integrate their attackers together, I mean, if they have a healthy squad, they're a title contender next year. I do not doubt the player in any way, shape, or form. But frankly, what I doubt, doubt is the amount that Chelsea paid for this player. I think that they're willing to shell out massive amounts of money um, simply because they can. If you look at the top 10 transfers, um, I mean, you've got Neymar at the top with $222 million, going all the way down to number 10 at Cristiano Ronaldo from Real to Ju- Juventus um, for $100 million, which is a little, this list is a little outdated, but... Um, considering that Mudrick would be in the conversation with Cristiano Ronaldo, Paul Pogba, Zhao Felix, Mbappe, and Neymar, that is going to be a really tough, tough, and difficult class of player to line up with. That's my only concern. Is that I don't doubt his performance and his ability to be a really critical asset for Chelsea. I just think the amount of money is going to put a lot of pressure on him. So, um, once again, counterpoint to Luke: um, Have you heard of inflation? <laughs> With the way things are now, I mean, look at world football. Money's just thrown around, especially. I mean, Chelsea, yes, is doing that themselves, but I mean, 100 million now is not what it was ten years ago. This is four years ago. It's even even four years ago. It's not the same. It's really not. But I mean, to me, I think. It's one thing to make a judgment about a transfer, which I'm not. I'm not completely attacking your point, but like, I think we have to give it time. We have to see how it plays out. I mean, I think there's a possibility it could be a great transfer st- for Chelsea. So I don't. I don't want to judge it right away and see what happens. I just I think there's possibilities there. You know. I I do love the player himself. Um, I think that Mudrek offers a the entertaining. Um, an electric performer that's going to be really good for Chelsea. Um, he'll he should definitely break into their starting eleven um, and become a viable asset for them. So, from an FPL perspective, he's also someone to keep an eye on. Um, if you see some goal contributions adding up and really kind of um, being noteworthy, then he might be a player to hop onto. Um, I think that. He offers a great differential perspective and also a way into a Chelsea side that have clearly been lacking the attacking potency that they really need to, you know, live up to the Chelsea name that they are. Um, so keep an eye on that going forward. But, um, Paul, do you have any concluding thoughts for this podcast from Game Week 21? It's going to hate the way Tottenham plays. And I think... Um it kind of really sucks that we have a week and a half essentially until we have more pre- Premier League games. As somebody that is addicted to the Premier League, it—I don't like it. But um, we'll have FA Cup matches that we can watch and everything, so we don't get the added impact of FPL and everything. But we can—we still have matches to watch, so we'll manage. But um, I think overall, really good week for me. Um, the games were—the games were some. There were some really big heavy hitters this week. Um, I hope everybody got to enjoy them and they um, had a good time watching the games. Um, Luke, any closing thoughts from you? I think that it's also important as FPL managers for us to keep an eye on the double game week possibilities and also the blank game week possibilities that will result out of these FA Cup matches and other English competitions. That these teams are operated within um and while also mentioning that it would be a failure to not mention that champions league and europa league are cycling back through pretty soon um so there's going to be a lot of rotate rot- a lot of rotation in the future that we need to prepare for if you're going to be triple captaining or um using wild cards um free hits just be very mindful of the load that the teams are bearing um, and how that's going to impact the rotation for teams. I'd be very hesitant with any city asset that you're going to captain, triple captain, whatever it may be. um, Because pep rotation is in full swing, especially as we can see from this weekend with Phil Foden, not even making the squad, which it seems like there's something going on there, but you know, that's for another later date where, you know, We're too far into it now to dive into that one, unfortunately. Um, But I think that'll pretty much wrap it up for Game Week 21. Um, To conclude, Paul and I had a really great time at Premier League Fan Fest in Orlando. Um, If you ever get the chance to take part or to go and, you know, enjoy the festivities with lots of other like-minded people, um, be sure to do that. I think that is ultimately going to do it for us for a review of Game Week 21 which offered a lot of entertaining moments um, throughout the entire Premier League. Um, And on behalf of Paul and I, also known as Top Bins with Twins, we thank you for listening and reviewing Game Week 21 with us in the Premier League. We wish you a very best rest of your day and look forward to talking with you all next time around. Kyle, do you hear those footsteps behind you in FPL?